0: Anyone who's had a brother or a sister growing up knows that an occasional quarrel is almost inevitable. Maybe it even degenerates into a little shoving, but it's not a big deal. Often, a little sibling rivalry can even be a good thing.
1: It can be pretty fierce. But it's usually pretty balanced, and it can be over many, many things like achievement, uh, attractiveness, social relationships with peers. All those sorts of things can be things siblings will have conflict over. But there's actually some evidence that this kind of rivalry actually strengthens siblings' relationship and teaches siblings about things like how to share, how to compromise, how to win without being humiliated, how to lose without self-debasement.
0: Dr. John Cafaro is Distinguished Professor at Alliant International University in Los Angeles and a researcher into sibling relationships. He says siblings can be competitive and still be each other's best friends. But for a lot of children, a brother or sister becomes more than a rival. They may be a perpetrator of abuse.
1: It starts often with what we call psychological maltreatment or what's more commonly known as teasing. But it can proceed very quickly from there to things like ridiculing, insulting, threatening, and even terrorizing a brother and sister. The abuse... Primarily
2: started around 4 years of age when my mother got pregnant with her last child. My sister was put in charge of me and she was basically supervising me, doing a lot of parental things that a parent would do and she was an overwhelmed child.
0: That's Nancy Kilgore, a trainer in PTSD who describes nearly 15 years of abuse at the hands of her older sister in her book Girl in the Water.
2: It escalated and the Majority of it was emotional and being told that I was stupid or inferior or that I really didn't belong to my family. I was adopted. And around 10, I went into severe physical abuse by my sister when my mother would go to the grocery store. And I was tortured at that point, and I was physically, sexually, and emotionally abused at that point. Point my
0: life. Unfortunately, Kilgore's terror is far from rare. Cafaro says sibling abuse is more common than parental abuse and domestic violence combined. He says between 30 and 50 percent of children endure it at some point. Psychologically, it's a jarring betrayal for a child to be abused by a family member, but most parents pass it off as normal sibling rivalry. They don't see the worst of it, the older sibling beating up or terrorizing their younger brother or sister.
3: We hear it all the time, like, oh, well, it's normal for your brother to pick on you, or it's normal for your sister to tease you, and we dismiss all of this. But there can be very long-term consequences for self-esteem and the interpersonal competencies that someone builds in relation to this.
0: Dr. Mandy Morrill-Richards is assistant professor of psychology at Valparaiso University. She's also done research on sibling abuse.
3: There's a lot of denial that happens because I think that's a really hard thing for parents to get their head around, that one of their children is harming another. There's a lot of emotional trauma that parents go through when they're trying to face that and deal with that.
2: Many parents don't want to see it, and when it is brought to their attention, they deny it. And she basically wanted us to be happy little girls, and she didn't teach us how to deal with conflict and competition between each other and when i would go and tell her that things were happening she basically dismissed what i was saying
0: that makes parental attention or the lack of it a key factor in sibling abuse
1: often sibling abuse can't happen if parents are paying attention so we see in most of the more extreme cases of sibling violence that either parents are either physically absent for a lot of the time and perhaps leave one older child in the care of a younger or parents may be there but they may not be emotionally or attached in a sense they may not be in tune enough with their children to really know when there are problems and to intervene appropriately when there are problems so the lack of supervision and the lack of appropriate attention and caretaking is a big big risk factor for the development of sibling abuse
0: especially if they're not paying attention many parents simply can't fathom any reason that one of their kids would abuse another They wouldn't see an older child's resentment when their place as the shining star of the family is usurped by a new baby. Parents may not know a child is being bullied at school and needs to reclaim their power at home. Morrill says it's usually power that's at play one way or another.
3: It can be related to limitations of resources in the home and trying to fight in a way to get more of those resources like parental attention maybe TV time, all of those limited resources that families have that usually siblings have to balance out trying to find a way to get more of it, you know, getting more power in a way in the home. Another thing that tends to happen is when a sibling takes on a parentified role, a lot of households are trying to make ends meet and have parents or guardians who have to work quite a bit. So an older sibling may be put in a parentified role. They may become resentful of that and take it out on their brothers or sisters.
1: What happens oftentimes in terms of how it escalates from there is that parents will intervene in a way that suggests that one child is being blamed and the other child is being deemed innocent. And that kind of intervention can actually do more harm than good because once children are fighting over something like parental love, the violence gets much more intense very quickly. Children will do all kinds of extreme things if they believe that what they're fighting with their brother and sister about is over the affection or the
0: attention of a parent. Obviously, that has implications for how parents should intervene when it appears one child is abusing another. The key is doing something about it at the right time, not so early that it's an overreaction, and not so late that one child's already suffering from mental or physical damage.
1: If parents are paying attention early and discover this kind of behavior with their children quickly, then it's a lot better if parents can actually teach the children how to resolve their conflicts rather than intervene and interrupt it themselves. You might create consequences for both children until they discover how to resolve the conflict, but it's much better to hand the responsibility back to children in the beginning so they learn conflict resolution skills. You might have to monitor that resolution at first. But that sets up a template where children actually learn something about how to resolve conflict rather than look to parents to solve their problems.
0: Kilgore advocates weekly family meetings where kids can bring up anything and be heard. She says no secrets should be allowed in the family. And Kafaro says parents need to look for red flags like these.
1: If one child is always getting hurt and the other child is always doing the hurting, that's a big red flag. Sometimes there are the more subtle red flags that come up for parents but they don't necessarily pay attention to them. Like a child will just repeatedly tell them that they are afraid of or being hurt by their brother and sister and a parent might ignore that or just blow it off as again kind of normal horseplay.
3: When your children are reporting to you that something is bothering them and something isn't okay, not to just dismiss it. Now that doesn't mean every time a child comes and says, Susie made fun of me and made me cry, that you have to make a huge deal of it, but also not dismissing it, making the children feel that they're going to be heard and that it's safe to tell them. And also noticing if there's a pattern, if you have a child coming to you frequently and telling you that things are happening more and more, if you notice things like you have a child that doesn't want to be alone with another sibling or seems to be fearful around another sibling or is trying to avoid another sibling, If you have siblings that are sharing a room and one of the sibling dyad doesn't feel like they want to go to sleep, that could be a sign of a problem as well.
0: However, if a parent does uncover abuse, especially severe ongoing abuse, Morrill says stopping it can create unique problems.
3: As a parent, what are you going to do? Are you going to turn your child in? there's a lot of fear. Well, if I go and try to get help for this child of mine, are they going to get family services involved? Are they going to take my children away? Am I an unfit parent? So a lot of times it's also the case that parents just don't know where to turn. They don't know how to handle it and they don't know what to do. So it's, a different kind of abuse that's happening and we don't really have an infrastructure set up to deal with it.
0: Kafaro says therapists often have difficulties with these cases as well because the abuser may not be removed and may still be living in the family with his victim.
1: So the treatment has to include that child and the family as a whole That requires generally a more integrative family-based approach, which a lot of clinicians aren't necessarily prepared for because it's a lot easier to sort of work singly with the victim or singly with a parent, let's say. So difficult in the sense that one of the first challenges for the clinician in this kind of a case is to actually try and get the parents on board, and you might spend a number of sessions addressing with the two parents, strengthening their leadership skills in the family and going over rules in the family and going over how those rules get enforced or don't get enforced.
0: Often, kids who are survivors of sibling abuse feel they have no place to turn. They have to silently endure it and wait for the day they can move out. But abuse leaves its scars. Survivors may suffer from PTSD, as Kilgore did.
3: If you grow up with a sibling, they're your closest peer, and they have a huge impact on how you develop sense of self. So if that relationship is damaged or unhealthy, that's going to have a very big impact on your coping skills, your self-esteem, and again, like how you relate to others, those interpersonal competencies.
0: But in spite of that, survivors of sibling abuse may find it difficult to seek psychological help as adults. There's little support of the kind that's available to those who've suffered abuse at the hands of a parent or a partner.
3: There's a lot of guilt and shame associated with it that isn't present with other types of abuse. A lot of self-doubt, like, was I really abused? Nobody ever talks about being abused by a sibling. Am I blowing this out of proportion? So a lot of normalizing has to happen when you're treating
2: just to sort of
3: get the person in a place where they understand that it wasn't their fault and what happened wasn't okay.
0: Moral says survivors need to figure out how much responsibility they apportion to their parents for not seeing or doing anything to stop the abuse. They need to decide if they ever want to have anything to do with their sibling ever again. Either way, there is an emotional cost. But surprisingly, Morrill says the abuser is also likely to need psychological help. The abuser
3: suffers greater deficits in self esteem as an adult and greater deficits with interpersonal competencies as an adult. So I do think as we're trying to grapple with this problem, we need to also be paying attention to how are we treating the abuser because yes that sibling that abused as an adult will very likely abuse their partner have a greater propensity towards abusing other family members just not knowing how to relate to others in a healthy way
0: moral says if the abuse is stopped and both perpetrator and victim are treated while they're children there's a much higher chance that they'll both recover and lead normal lives but that requires parents to pay attention not ignore abuse and never accept it. You can find resources through the National Child Abuse Hotline at childhelp.org or the Sibling Abuse Survivors Information and Advocacy Network at sasian.org. Nancy Kilgore's book, Girl in the Water, is available through Amazon.com. I'm Reed Pence. Living with diabetes can be challenging,
4: complicated, and expensive. A recent survey conducted by Wakefield Research found 62% of adults with diabetes say they'd better manage their disease if supplies were more affordable. Roche Diabetes Care has now introduced the AccuCheck Guide System, a new blood glucose meter and simple pay savings program designed to help make managing diabetes surprisingly simple and more affordable. As part of the AccuCheck Guide System, the new blood glucose meter will help simplify the most frequent tasks needed to manage diabetes, including a new spill-resistant SmartPak test strip vial, a larger blood application area on the strip and a strip port light that makes testing in daytime nighttime or anytime simple the meter is now available at most pharmacies and to start saving on test strips download the simple pay savings card on the accucheck website simply hand the simple pay card to your pharmacist with the accucheck guide meter and strip prescription for consistent and easy to understand everyday low prices for more information visit accu-check.com/guide Accidental falls are a leading cause of injury and death in older Americans. In fact, one in three people age 65 and older will take a fall at some point that diminishes their quality of life. Falls can happen for a variety of reasons, but Dr. Katie Davenport, a practicing emergency physician and member of the American College of Emergency Physicians, explains how to reduce your risk.
3: Emergency physicians have outlined seven simple steps to avoid falls in a new video. Here are a few of them. First, improve strength and balance with exercise, like Tai Chi. Check your home for hazards that could cause you to trip, like loose rugs. Make sure you wear supportive footwear. And if your medications make you feel lightheaded or dizzy, ask your doctor or pharmacist about alternatives. For more tips, visit www.emergencycareforyou.org.
4: The 7-Step Fall Challenge video outlines common steps you can take right now to greatly reduce your risk of falling. Just go to emergencycareforyou.org to view it and find more information. That's emergencycareforyou.org.